Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. Whether you call it football or soccer in your part of the world, Match of the Day Africa Top 10 is the podcast from the BBC World Service ranking the best African players. This guy is recognised as the best in the world. Teams. Ball coming, turn, boom. And the biggest moments in African football. The whole world remembers that. Remember that, yeah. It's not just African fans. Match of the Day Africa Top 10. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Walking down the hill in Bristol, we're off to see a man who really knows his nose. Frank Mason is an expert wine sniffer. I mean, I think it's a bit more technical than that, but uh, this is a man who's made a whole career out of separating the finer things in life using his olfactory palate. I'm a little bit intimidated. I'm, I'm, I, I mean this. This is probably quite a scary thing for me in a weird way. I don't have a sense of smell, and I lost it when I was a kid. Um, it never came back. I had a virus. It killed the olfactory bulbs at the top of my nose. My sense of taste has been massively reduced. Absolutely, yeah. There's plenty that we can kind of gauge from the appearance, the nose, even before we taste the wine that kind of preconcepts what we are going to smell and taste and it kind of points us in a certain direction but one of the best ways of training your nose training your palate is to taste wines side by side you can start to figure out those subtle differences as to what it is that you do and don't like about that style uh, so this is why i've given you four blind wines just to really put you on the spot but this means you're able to train your sense of smell then which for me is completely alien i, I don't train myself to see better or i don't train myself to hear better but you're able to train yourself to smell and ultimately taste more acutely than what you could before when you were just just chugging down a cider for example <laughs> right so what do we do do we just do give each one a taste yeah so the best thing to do is to try and smell them but that's going to be tricky if you can't smell I'm Ben Garrett, Professor of Evolutionary Biology at the University of East Anglia. I specialise in how our group in the animal kingdom has evolved and adapted over time. I'm fascinated by how the world around us has shaped us and how we interact with our surrounding environments. At the very forefront of this are our senses, that collective of sight, smell, taste, hearing and touch. In this series, I want to find out not only how our senses allow us to understand and explore what's around us, but how we might borrow from nature and harness and develop technologies, and maybe even redefine what it means to see, hear and feel along the way. With the smell, we're trying to pick apart all those different characteristics that the grape variety or the winemaking gives us. But then on the palate, we're then trying to figure out the levels of sugar, acidity, tannin, alcohol, and the body. So how heavy it actually sits across the palate. So that straight away starts to influence uh, what we think about it. But also, as you said, the environment. So our happiness, our enjoyment instantly enhances all of our other senses. So I think uh, taste the first one. And notice how it picks up across your palate, acidity on the side, sweetness on the front, alcohol across the back. I've never shook a glass of wine before and I feel completely obliged to do this right now. <laughs> so all we're doing is getting oxygen into the wine, which opens up those characteristics. It smells of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Sorry. <laughs> 
Am I your first person with absolutely no sense of smell to do a wine tasting? No, with you? I have taught some people, uh, rugby ex rugby players, <laughs> who have had their nose broken so many times that similar, they, they can't smell anything, but they can still pick up stuff through the palate. Now I've got, oh my goodness, I'm going to make up words I've never used with wine before. It's quite, it's not dry. I don't think. <laughs> it is dry, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's clearly a dry. Um, <laughs> Joking. <laughs> What's the, what would work? I wouldn't use rich or fruity. I would use. Um, it's quite thick. <laughs> I'm not going to say the word chewy because I can see you being the first person being banned from no, this no, wonderful no, there, subject. There are many wines that are chewy. This is a, a bone dry German Riesling, which is all about the acidity, the freshness, all of that kind of minerality, citrus fruit, lemons, lime, grapefruit. That's like floral note. Think sort of uh, honeysuckle blossom. But yeah, high acid, bone dry, quite light in body. Is it not walking through a city like this? It must be bombarding you with, with smell all the time. Or do you get used to it? Are you, are you saturated? Are you, are you... I think it has its highs and lows. You, know, you walk past somewhere that's brewing fresh coffee and that's a, a lovely smell or near a jam factory. Beautiful, sweet smell. But then on my cycle to and from work every day, I go past a factory and there's pallets and cardboard boxes which just smells of corked wine. So I'm constantly smelling one of the worst aromas for a wine professional is cork taint. However, in a way, that's helped me easily identify when a wine is corked. And I can now smell that characteristic from a mile off. As soon as the cork is out of the bottle, instantly, straight away, I know that wine is faulty. It's amazing that you can train your nose to be this acute, this, this, this sensitive to the world around you. We are looking at some point at uh, a synthetic nose, which will be able, hopefully, maybe, to be able to detect differences in the same way you can. And I can see your face there. You've got a little bit of a response. Do you reckon it's possible? Yes and no. <laughs> Being able to pick out the chemical compounds through the fermentation, Absolutely. Being able to then recommend what the white wine is for the right person on the right occasion at the right time? I don't think so. And that's what this episode is all about. Smell and taste. And whether we might be able to use technology to understand more about them. Perhaps the strangest and most unexplored of all our senses. It can remind us of our dearest loved ones. <laughs> or the opposite, oh. triggering our deepest disgust. <gasps> <laughs> Neurobiologist Professor Bob Data is based at the Harvard Medical School. He's also the founder of the Data Lab. In this country today, um, in, in America where I'm sitting, um, you know, 25 million people can't smell. And, you know, because so many people have experienced COVID and have at least transiently lost some or all of their sense of smell, it has really brought into sharp relief the ways in which we as humans actually use our sense of smell on a day-to-day -day basis. The sense of smell uh, in animals and in humans is very directly connected to, to brain regions that are involved in, in emotion and memory, and we rely on our sense of smell to ground us in the world. When people are robbed of that suddenly, they suddenly realize how important um, their ongoing sense of smell is, just to their, their ability to understand what's around them uh, and to support their ongoing emotion. What role did smell play for our early human ancestors? When animals evolved, right, we were, uh, we were all creatures in the water, and we crawled out of the muck, uh, and um, we became terrestrial animals. When that happened, 
the main sense we relied on was our sense of smell. And we used our sense of smell uh, to get around, to find food, to avoid predators. Uh, and so really the ancestral function of smell was to allow us to build maps of the world around us. It seems like it's taken us years to understand even the basics for how the nose works. And do we even know how we organize smells? Much of brain science uh, really ar has arisen from our fascination with sight and trying to understand how you know, we see objects in the world uh, and we understand how those objects are related to each other. And, and a little bit because of that, we've been less attentive to many of the other senses, especially smell. For smell, we have still now a fairly rudimentary understanding of um, you know, what makes one smell similar to or different from another, or how different smells might relate to each other, and why our brain thinks they're related. The thing about odors is they're like a secret language. They're constantly telling us things, but we can't read the messages. Uh, if we just had the ability to somehow objectively measure odors in the world, I think it would reveal to us a whole diversity and variety of signals that humans give off as their bodies change. And for me, that's the most exciting thing. Bob has introduced us to the puzzling idea of not only why olfaction has been traditionally understudied, but that smell would have been much more important in our evolutionary past. But while smell was integral to find food, avoid predators and locate mates in our far-off evolutionary past, new research hints that smell may also have had more socially driven impacts on our more recent human ancestors. In Bal Ravrabi is a PhD student at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. A year before I came to, to this lab of Professor Nam Sobel from the Wiseman Institute, I totally underappreciate the sense of smell. Do we have a unique and individual sense of smell, or do we all, do we all actually smell the same? There are many components in our body odor that are the same. And of course, some, some components uh, depends on the environment, but a lot of the components uh, are genetics dependent. And that means that you, you actually have an olfactory fingerprint. But what fascinated Inbal and her colleagues was whether smell might be integral to more aspects of human life than we'd previously given it credit for. Friends are very similar to each other in, in many ways. They look similar, um, they tend to be similar in, in their views, in their uh, values, actually almost in everything. And what we uh, seek to understand is whether body odor plays a role here as well. The question she wanted to ask was whether smell might play a role in our relationships, from romantic relationships to why some of us just click. Sometimes you meet someone the first time and you just click, right? You just have this kind of magical feeling that it's like you already know the other. This feeling is, is really um, really prominent. We, it's hard to explain it and it's very immediate, right? You, you feel that uh, clicking in the very first moment. So the team set up a research project to match people with potential new friends through their sense of smell. So first of all, we asked 20 click friends to come to the lab and we provided them with t-shirts. They went to sleep with this t-shirt for two consecutive nights. So then we take our body odor samples and test them uh, with our electronic nose. Yes, you heard that right. The team had been working with a brand new piece of technology, an e-nose. It can be given a smell 
which it then uses to detect and distinguish similar compounds. This was our way to assess um, the chemical similarity. So in olfaction, uh, it's the, the relationship between the objective world and the subjective world is is not um, straightforward. If there are two odors that are very similar, chemically speaking, they may be not similar at all uh, perceptually. To try and take the mystery and subjectivity out of smell, work has been put into developing gas sensors, which can use technology to add that desired objectivity to smell. Take coffee, for example. You all know what coffee smells like. It's that freshly roasted aroma with hints of caramel and a distinct nuttiness. Well, that's down to a combination of over 800 molecules. Now, can you tell the difference between a cup from Costa Rica and one from Ethiopia? This is where it all gets a little bit trickier. That's because while most of those 800 or so molecules are shared across coffees, each individual coffee will have a few of its own unique compounds, giving it that particular aroma. AI-enhanced gas sensors can be trained to recognize a range of different compounds, such as coffee, but the more they learn, the better they become at making predictions and differentiating between your Costa Rican and Ethiopian blends, creating a sort of smellscape of the world around us and are able to bank a whole range of smells, from blends of coffee to types of explosives. Yeah, so what Jacob and McClintock found is that when you were talking about sexual attraction, people tend to choose others that are different in their body odor. And uh, what we found is that when you're talking about friendship and especially about uh, this uh, click friendship or uh, the clicking phenomena, this feeling that there, there is chemistry between us, it seems that there is actually chemistry between us. Inbal shows us how humans might actually be paying more attention to smell than immediately meets the eye. Our friends could just be a product of our nose finding them pleasing to be around. It sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? Well, it might not be as unusual as you think. For some animals, at least, it's the driving force behind all of their interactions. This is amazing. It's like if you've ever had a hamster when you were growing up and you made a little maze of tubes, it's nothing like that. It's... <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's just that going mad. It is. It's, it's plastic boxes after plastic boxes with tubes linking each one. And I'm whispering because I feel like I'm in the middle of a city in rush hour. Well, I am. I'm in the middle of London. But within that, it's like a, an animal version of London. There's, there's mole rats in chambers above me, beneath me, around me, near the floor, on tables. This is, this is quite incredibly one of the coolest animal things I've seen in a long time. Dr Chris Fawkes is a reader in evolutionary ecology at Queen Mary University, London, and is the keeper of some, well, not-so-furry friends. Naked mole rats. In the wild, they live in these uh, massive labyrinths of, um, of interconnecting tunnels, kind of as you see here on a very, very tiny scale. Um, and in the wild, they can be uh, three to four kilometres if it doesn't disturb them, Chris, is it possible to have a little bit of a closer look at one of them? So they kind of look like a, well, huh, like a little naked hamster. They're, yeah, I guess. Or a freshly shaved hamster, as one of my co it, colleagues once described them as. 
I guess they're about, what's that, uh, six, seven inches long, so it's yeah. like 14, 15 centimetres. They're about as thick as two thumb. well, no, about yeah. as thick as my thumb, I guess. Everything you see here is like a, a pinnacle of adaptations to living underground. Yeah. In complete darkness, um, other senses become more important. The vision is very poor, or non-image non, non forming anyway. But their sense of smell... Um, is obviously really important. Smell plays an incredibly important role in the relationships of so many animals in the natural world. But they do have something unique about them, and that's the way smell plays a role in the organisation of their groups. As you can see here, right, we've got um, this one squeezing past another from behind, nothing much special happening. But when uh, the uh, pairs of animals like here meet face to face, There'll be a very, and here again, look, really quick uh, sniffing, a mutual sniffing of the facial area, and then one will pass over the top and one will submit and go underneath. When these near-blind animals meet in a tunnel, the first thing they do is sniff each other. You can even see their little noses twitch as they go about it. But what happens next is fascinating. Depending on whether they recognise the smell or not, the mole rats will either begin a fight or politely pass one another. And cues within their scents will help determine who passes on top and who gets trampled on beneath in the squeeze. Yeah, you can see that little encounter going on there. And here's another one. Oh, I think that might be the queen there uh, giving a bit of a shove to one of them. So they know who's who within the colony and they have this recognition when they meet. So if you stick a new member within a colony... You see a lot of uh, kick-off, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you would know straight away because they'd start uh, making aggressive hissing noises and they can tell instantly, uh, you know, an animal from, uh, from another colony. He's even tried giving them a bath to remove their scent to see if it deters them. But the outcome didn't go as planned. A year or two ago, um, we tried a, a little experiment where we, um, we washed the faces... Um, of some mole rats. Aggressive, like yeah. a tiny little flannel, the tiny yeah, bar of well, soap here. It's kind of was like that. So we put them back together to see if it affected who went over the top and who went underneath. Um, sadly, I don't think we washed them thoroughly enough <laughs> because there was still an, an enough residual odour because they sniffed still and then they went back to the old. So do you think that as, as a species we don't rely on our sense of smell and olfactory communication as much as lots of other mammals do? I think kind of consciously we don't. Maybe scent is a bit more important than we realise. Um, we just don't really know we're taking any notice of it perhaps. We've learnt that, for naked mole rats, smell plays a vital role in distinguishing friend or foe, and how, through the use of smell sensor technology, we've found the same might be true in humans. But smell sensors might be used in all kinds of ways in the future. Dr Tess Scrim is a technology analyst and specialist in gas sensors at ID TechX. The whole topic of gas sensors actually when you look at it, is a really broad field. Yeah, some of what we're beginning to see now is a specific type of gas sensor called an e-nose that lets us not only analyse whether we're measuring, say, carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide or another elemental gas, but kind of mixtures of gas 
that make up a smell. So we're, we're seeing sensors that aren't just doing yeah, specific gas types, but more complicated gas mixtures and smells, hence getting the name E-nose. And have we not seen that until now or in the near future because the scientific techniques involved in that are so complex, partly maybe because of that subjectivity you mentioned, or is it because we're not being driven because of a need or, or sense of application for something like an E-nose or much more complex chemical sensors? Specific molecule gases is one thing, but it is absolutely, it's more complicated to start to pick up and detect specific smells. However, the technology is there in some ways to do it. There are there are applications already where you can buy handheld equipment that is technically an e-nose. But what we've found so far is that it's being used, the technology's been used to make really sensitive detectors of those more typical type of gases so it hasn't yet really been used in a widespread way to do things like give me a smart coffee maker that can tell me what coffee beans I've put in by the smell or give me a smartphone app that means my phone can tell me what my flowers in the garden smell like and so on but that's the type of transition we might expect to see in the future. Already talking with you my mind is racing as to whether I would be out for a walk and maybe use my phone to send you in the same way that I might send you a video clip or or a voice note. Oh my goodness, Tess, this is such a beautiful forest. The bluebells are up. Um, I might send you a smell snap of the bluebells, but I wonder if that's enough, that everyday tech to, to drive that innovation. But I think it's, as you say, it's, it's bringing it into everyday um, usage is, is the next big driving factor, I guess. There is still a way to go, but as you say, the, the the potential of that is quite exciting, and we're so used to sharing images and videos and being able to compress that into a file format that we share and use all the time. And collecting these libraries of smell data would would open up a similar opportunity to do that with smell data. Now, the promise of a smell phone has been around for years, and while I love the idea of this, a quick deep dive into the hype shows the reality is a long way off developing that delicately attuned yet highly sensitive capability of the biological snout. Introducing Ophone. Ophone is like a phone for aroma. It works with a mobile messaging app that lets you take a picture, tag it with over 300,000 possibilities, and send it as an O-note to friends. When you receive an O-note, you play it on the Ophone like this. The question is, how does all this work? And I'd probably benefit from this the most if it worked. With the need to manually program and select information needed to convey your cheeky little Malbec has hints of plums and strawberries and, and cherry blossom, and necessitating a device in your home capable of releasing the produced smell, synthesising smell for the use in our everyday lives currently appears clunky, fake, and, well, it kind of smells of desperation a bit, if I'm completely honest. However, there are some researchers who, while their aims are ambitious, are getting closer to their goal. Back to Bob. You know, a lot of what people are talking about is the use of these kinds of sensors, which really are e-noses, uh, to figure out uh, where you know, toxic gases might be. But the future of e-noses is very different, right? The future of e-noses um, is one in which you can use them to smell not just kind of you know, chemicals in general, but specific chemicals and identify specific chemicals uh, that convey important meanings to us um, practically. 
So one obvious example of this uh, is uh, in healthcare, right? So uh, many, many diseases have characteristic smells, and actually you can train animals to detect these smells. Uh, I, many years ago, got an MD, and I remember memorizing a list of diseases uh, that had associated smells and that physicians in the 19th century and in early 20th century you know, would use uh, to actually diagnose you know, what disease you had. Um, and one idea is that we can, we can take that kind of folk wisdom and turn it into real technology, allowing us to effectively diagnose disease uh, just by sampling the, the odor of individual humans. And, and, and I'm sure you've heard that dogs can be trained um, through their really remarkable sense of smell to detect uh, various, various kinds of disease. And I think the hope would be to move uh, us from a biological realm where we're training dogs to do this kind of work um, to, to, to actually building devices. So where we are now is um, that flavors and fragrances are art, right? So if you want to train to be a perfumer, you go to an atelier and you apprentice with a master, uh, and the master lets you smell many things and lets you smell many combinations of things, and you gain a kind of unsaid, um, inarticulable intuition about the relationship between chemistry and smell. And that allows you to, to um, create fragrances from you know, natural odoriferous model molecules in the world or, or actual just synthetic chemistry uh, that you can use to make um, you know, better smelling detergents or, or beautiful and evocative perfumes. Uh, and that's, that's the way that we've understood smell for hundreds of years. Uh, but obviously, there has to be some way that we can take a look at a chemical and make a prediction about what that chemical is going to smell like. And we're just beginning to get to a place where we're moving from people's intuitions about how individual chemicals or mixtures of chemicals sh should smell through, you know, through and exploring that through trial and error uh, to a place where technologies are going to allow us to, to look at a molecule and say, ah, that thing, that's going to smell like pizza. The interesting thing about the use of gas sensors and artificial intelligence is they could really help our noses super sense and become more powerful in the future. We might see smell technology that can detect illnesses in people without the need for complex lab testing or predict who we might fall for just through a quick sniff. But it might also help us understand our own world of smell and unlock some of the questions that have been puzzling us for a long time about how smell actually works. In the fourth episode of Super Sensors, we'll explore touch and what role it plays in our nearest living relatives. I try to give my mum a hug from 5,000 miles away and discover what my brain scans show when I'm being stroked and then pinched. Hi, Yaya Touré here for a brand new podcast from the BBC World Service, Match of the Day, Africa Top 10. Join me and follow footballers Gabriel Zakwani. Hello. And Ifan Okuku. Hi. As we choose our top 10 from the best of Africa football. We're not here to play football, but to argue about all things African football. That's match of the day. Africa top 10. Find it wherever you get your BBC podcast. <laughs>